The last 20 years have seen an explosion of cool tech, shiny digital apps, and progressive business models, but not all have migrated successfully to traditional banking. Have we lingered too long in the glittering halls of cutting edge? Have we forgotten the real goals of reliable, trustworthy, and functional banking? Is it time to find the real magic in building a bank that works? Welcome to Functional Banking Magic, a podcast that aims to tell the stories of the magic in a bank that works. Welcome to another episode of Functional Banking Magic. As always, I am Liz Lumley of The Banker, and today we are looking at marketing. Do banks need to hack it? What can banks learn from the so-called growth hacking of startups? What can B2B learn from B2C? And which banks are hitting a home run with growth and marketing? Marketing is, of course, a topic I, I talk about frequently. We've got three incredible women uh, for this uh, for this discussion today. We've got Isha Chanda, head of EMEA Marketing, Executive Director Payments at J.P. Morgan. We have Lucy Wool Fenden, founder at the Scale Up Collective. And we have Shilpa Bagheera, Chief Revenue Officer, Platform and Data at Finastra. Hello, ladies. Thank you for joining me. Hello. Thanks Hi. for having us. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> Perfect. I, I love this topic. I'm going to start in um, with, uh, with, with some questions for all of you because it, it's interesting looking at the, the B2B world um, and, and also the, the banking world. And, and I'm, I've been very kind of vocal on Twitter that in the, the startup and tech world, there's a phrase that I absolutely cannot stand, which is, we don't pay for marketing. So I think for all, all people who work in marketing, I'm sure they all volunteer their services and don't get a, don't get a salary or a paycheck. But maybe we'll get into that later on. So Lucy, since you're, you're here next to me, I'm going to start with you with this question. I mean, all of you have been involved in, in growth in all of your respective careers, um, and not all of you started in the financial services industry. So kind of in a way of explaining a little bit of your background and your experience, when you first encountered financial services, what's kind of like the first thing you noticed? Tell us a bit about yourself, Lucy. Gosh, so going from social media to finance, I think the first thing I noticed was you have to be careful what you say so you don't end up in jail. <laughs> <laughs> but really, I think it's about, it's never about the money, whether it's B2B or B2C, it's always about the possibilities it can bring. So from definitely from where I've worked at Starling and at Yolt and some of my clients now, you know, it's about really thinking about what it means and what, what doors does, does that money open? Mm. And I think that's where, that's what I've really learned since we started. Excellent. So, Isha, I'll go to you. Tell us a little bit about your background and what you what you first noticed when you were introduced to the wonderful world of financial services and banks. I, my history is more in the professional services industry, but targeting financial services. So that that was my exposure, and I have and now, of course, I work at JP Morgan Payments. And I think the the piece that I noticed and um, right early on was that whilst all industries have had to evolve owing to a number of factors. I think financial services has seen phenomenal pace of change and growth across the retail as well as wholesale side. And of course, technology has had a material impact on, on, on multiple industries, but it really has had a huge impact on financial services. And there are other factors that have driven some of the changes as well in the industry, whether that's regulation or business model evolution and um, customer expectations. Um, and of course, all these factors are also interlinked to an extent. And this is true across B2B and B2C. 
Um, and then what this means for marketing, I think that's the more important question. We have to really keep up and continuously evolve as well. We need to understand what's happening around us in order to be good marketers. So I'm going to close this off with Shilpa. Tell us a little bit about your background and, and what you first noticed when you, you entered the world of financial services. Sure. Thank you. So I, uh, on the contrary, started my career in, in, in banks and I had a bit of segue in technology. So I, I have been privy to both the B2B landscape as well as the B2C. If I could talk about my early uh, impressions of when I started my career, this was this was over 20 years ago in financial services. I think it was, it was just sheer ability to drive that global economic impact, right, in a very highly competitive and volatile market, which I found it to be extremely fascinating. Um, what has changed is while all of that is still relevant, I think the culture and the prevailing attitudes around that, around too big to fail, and that the consequential behaviors that came out of that in absence of stringent regulations and compliance was a revelation. And what I see now that there has been a shift, right? So, you know, you, you, you do see financial services and all in general right now, they understand that their purpose is, is to benefit the public, not simply their shareholders and corporate clients. So I, I see that a lot. And I think that also reflects in, 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 in the way they, um, they market their products to their target audience as well. So that in, in itself, I think Isha pointed that out as to constantly evolving, is I've seen how that has evolved from the time when I joined to where I see the direction of those financial firms in terms of marketing is. Interesting. I'm gonna I'm gonna stay with you for for the next question because I know you have experience with the, you know, as you mentioned, the, the, the tech industry and the, the business to consumer marketing. Do you think it when a, a product is marketed in a in a consumer setting, as opposed to uh, the the world where, like you know, for example, payments and banks, which is more of a B two B setting, it, did, are we allowed to be a bit more personal and creative with that sort of marketing, or do you think that's that that's a falsehood that you can be just as personal and creative in B two B? What do you think? I I would say ten years ago, if you asked me asked me that question, I would have said yes. So even actually five years ago, had you asked me that question, I would have said yes. I I dive back into uh, financial services, having worked at Uber, right, which is very much a B two C. But right now, if you would ask me, I would say they're converging. Um, they are increasingly becoming aware of the human element in business purchasing and how important it is to engage with the audience. So um, I would say. It is, it's almost the same right now. In fact, you know, if, if you looked at some, and I know Isha came from professional services, but in fact, there's a recent study, um, you know, that shows that when you create a human experience, which is, you know, aligning to the value of your customers, workforce, and partners, I think you're twice likely to outperform competitors, you know, when it comes to revenue growth. And if you think about banks or financial services, I think their end goal is it's quite similar to what you would say um, would be at a B2C company like an Airbnb or an Uber. Right. So I think they're really looking to capture the target audience and bring in the more of a human element in there. Um, I hope that answers your question, Liz. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. In terms of being personal and creative, if you think, you know, if you your part of your job is marketing the payments business at a, a large international bank, is it is it can you be personal and creative in in that world or what what do you think, Isha? 100%. I mean, I think, you know, historically speaking, B2C probably has been more risk-taking and have adopted more of a test and learn approach. Um, but I think that's changed significantly in the B2B space over the last many years, as, as Shilpa has just pointed out as well. And uh, so it's not just about B2C having the allowance. I think 
the change is now coming up in the B2B space, probably because of two factors. Number one, the realization that at the end of the day, the customer in the B2B space is also human. And marketing needs to be creative to cut through the noise. They also have a lot of options in front of them, right? So you, you need to be able to differentiate yourself. And you do that by being, you know, by providing your message in a creative way. Um, and number two, which I think is probably the change that Shilpa's alluding to in the last five years, we now actually have the tooling available to be super precise in our targeting, where historically our go-to-market in the B2B space has been very one-to-one relationship-based distribution. And hence our channel mix, our channel strategy was, was very different. Whereas now our, our channel approaches is, is, is quite uh, is quite creative and, and varied that, that, than it was. And we are taking inspiration from B2C. Mm, interesting. I mean, I'm going to go, I'm going to go to Lucy now, because I know that you, you consult and you work with a lot of different companies. When you, when you're working with these companies, I want to know what are some of the strategies that, that the B2B world can steal from the, from the B2C world? As both of you have just said, it's recognising that importance of brand awareness, you know, long sales periods, the need to be more than just rational. It's very busy. You really, it's still, at the end of the day, you're still marketing to people. So you need to be emotionally relevant to them and keep top of mind at the point at which they, they're interested in the product and they need your product. And I think it's really interesting because I think, you know, I have quite a few clients who are B2B and, you know, they'll send me Domino's latest tweet or something and be like, can we do that? And I'm like, no, no, <laughs> never. But then actually... You're not a pizza company. Yeah, you're not a pizza company. That isn't your target. But it is about connecting with your target audience. So I have one client that's targeting the construction industry and his tone of voice is incredibly Marmite. But for his target audience, it really works. You know, he gets to swear. He gets to, he gets to, he gets to be boisterous because that is how he's connecting emotionally with his audience, and that you know. But it is about whenever you think about what's the right thing to do, it's about what what's my audience looking for, what's the language that they're using, and how can I make sure I'm connecting with them through that, through that. I think, but to go back to creativity and B two B, I think. You know, there's been some really amazing things. I think, you know, it's back in 2017 now, but the fearless girl the, um, in Wall Street, you know, it's not about, I think on the B2B side, it's less about creating beautiful film that's going to be on TV or, you know, going, going to be shared on social in that way, but it's about creating things that matter and things that make you take notice. Um, you know, I I think the Rose Review, for example, is could be seen as a marketing and a communications strategy you know it's made me reconsider NatWest as more than just a high street bank and actually something that you know a company that I could relate to because it's really putting its money and time and effort into something that I believe in so I think it's about finding finding those and really thinking about it so I'm gonna I'm gonna just do a follow-up question on that because I, I agree with you I mean I think the, the fearless girl campaign was 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 really inspiring and the Rose review of NatWest I agree with you but I mean ultimately in like in black and white marketing's goals is to build that customer base right so could that be seen as a bit cynical to some of these you know you know these these campaigns that make you I mean it is actually companies want to make a profit and you know, what do you can it, could it come off as being a bit cynical when actually the goal is to make money and to grow your customer base? A hundred percent, and there are so many examples of where somebody's just jumped on the bandwagon. Um, you know, Black Lives Matter is probably that has. I'm sure there's about a thousand examples you could go through your LinkedIn feed and see. Pride colors and greenwashing. Yeah. yeah, completely. But I think where they really care and where they 
do that in the long term and make it part of their business. I think that's where you can then grow those relationships and show that you're actually, you know, that um, actionable empathy where you're really standing up for what people believe in and you're going out there and changing things, I think is where you can connect. But agree, you can, there's a, a lot where people think they can just do one thing or say they care and that's the important part, but it's, it's more actions rather than words, I think, is, is where it really changes. Yeah, I wanted to maybe go back to um, more about what what be, the B two B businesses and banks can steal from from the the consumer world. So, Shilpa, I'll go to you. I mean, I, I'm just I'm fascinated by the been at Uber and now you're at Finastra, a big financial services tech company. What what are some of the strategies you think this this our world can kind of steal from the the B two C world? The first and foremost, I would I would talk about community development. I think it's 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 really vital, and you see that happening a lot in the B two C space um, around brand building. So I think that is something which would be which would be um, that we the B two B can incorporate out of B two C. While I also said that they're converging. I mean, you can see that in how Goldman Sachs is now targeting small business, or a TD Bank is now looking at at as uh, branding themselves as a community bank, you know, not losing the human touch, right? So things like that, where you really build a community around that. Um, secondly, I would say personal engagement. And we've spoken, I think a few of us have already spoken about that, but making it personal through the consumer journey. You know, ultimately you're, you know, we, we always say this, that people buy from people, right? So business buyers aren't robots and they don't only operate by numbers, right? They're human beings. So yes, their logical business needs must be met uh, before they commit to a transaction, but only by engaging on more of an emotional level can you nurture a long-term relationship, right? So I think if we just look at your target audience as um, as, as a person, as opposed to 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 what Liz, you just mentioned, mentioned right? Oh, we want to get business growth by X, right? So if you look at that, I think, um, you know, you, you, can, you can target your marketing around that. And then um, brand transparency and social impact. I think we're all, we, we all talk about what is, what is that your brand stands for and what do you do beyond your business purpose? And we see that a lot in the B2B space. And we, we obviously also do see that around in the B2C space as well. So I think those three things I would say uh, would, would be what I would, I would say uh, that a B2B space can, um, can perhaps, for a lack of a better word, adopt from a B2C space. Yeah, I mean, it, it's interesting. It's almost, I think a, a lot of a lot of you are talking not about strategies to steal, but but this importance of of humanity and 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 selling to people, no matter no matter what the product is or or is. So uh, I wanted to bring Isha in to to have a, a comment from you about um you know I mean does a lot of the stuff that that Lucy and Shilpa say ring true in your head? One hundred percent, and I think the community development side is, is super important. Right. And it's also a way to then build that human connection. Um, and what we have to remember is that at the end of the day, that when in a B2B scenario, when somebody's buying from you, regardless of the fact that that money is not technically coming out from their pocket, when it comes to spending, people spend in similar ways when they're you know, doing a business to business transaction or a business to consumer, you know, they, they will be very, um, uh, it's, it's better for them to first kind of build that affinity with your brand as well. And they won't just buy, it's not, it's not a robotic transaction. So I, I would probably echo everything that Shilpa was saying. And um, it, we, we have to, we have to be able to appeal, but then again, it has to be very authentic. I think in the world of um, B2B marketing and in the world of financial services, 
it's even more important to be authentic um, because it's, you know, money is personal. Um, so, and, and that holds true, whether it's a B2C, it, that's just, this is more of a broader comment for the banking industry in general, but that authenticity is just so important. It has to be real because it, money is just so, you know, it, it runs our lives at this point in time, right? So mm. <laughs> I'm going to stay with you because I, I wanted to continue on this idea about being authentic and like, what role does, does content play in really hammering home that authentic, authentic message and, and, and connecting with, with an audience? Yeah, so, you know, it's my personal view, and I I personally think that content is, has proliferated, right, over the last several years, and the the more digital channels we've had, there's just been so much content, we've been inundated. At the end of the day, I, the way I categorize content is, it's about delivering a message, communicating a value, and we need to be, especially in the B2B space, we can't just put out content it has to be the right content we have to be super targeted and the key to success to that is to be able to offer the right content and the right amount of content which is the bit that we sometimes don't focus on to the right person at the right time in the right format and you know content isn't just a two you know one dimensional you know white paper that you're offering it can be delivered in multiple ways and and that's what I meant when I was talking about the channel mix earlier on that you know, how you're delivering that content is super important as well. Um, I think today, if any of any of us on this call, right, we're inundated with content. I just see so many emails every day with a, another white paper that I'm supposed to be reading. I will make time to consume it. Half the times it's because it's either not relevant or it's, you know, not the right kind of content. So how do you, how do you become super targeted on, on that? So I, I think it has a very big role to play. Uh, across B2C and B2B, it's the delivery mechanism that we need to really hone in on. And B2B has been a bit behind the curve at times where we just often think that delivering a white paper is the way to deliver content. I was about to say that I, I bank marketers love a white paper. This is sorry, I hit a bit of a, maybe I'm a bit. And look, it has its, it has its purpose. You know, there's yeah. nothing against. But that, that's the thing. We, we need we need more variety if we're mm. going to really appeal to that customer. Mm. What do you think? I saw you nodding along, Lucy. What do you what's your what are your views? I mean, yeah, content does play a huge role. And I think overwhelmingly it's because B2B decision makers want to feel that they found the right solution that they're not being sold to. And content's a really useful way of being able to get in front of them when they're looking and help them to think of your brand as as the brand that they want to connect with. Um, And also, if you think about that B2B decision-making process, so you define what the problem is, you define what the solution is, and then you look for a supplier. If you're already front of mind because you're serving them lots of useful content, that will help shape what that problem is that they're, they're deciding. So then they will think of a solution like yours, and then they're more likely to go to you. If you. If you haven't already been in front of them, you're less likely to be the supplier that they find. So you really need to help control that whole journey with them and content is so useful for doing that. But I totally agree, it's about, you need to put the work in to make sure you're creating the right content for the right audience. It's the right, I mean, we spend a lot of time talking about white papers, you know, clients will go away and they'll create these 100 page documents that are so beautiful and you're like, oh, okay, no one's gonna read 100 pages, so let's make 20 of them. You know, let's think about what is useful and what's going to be consumed and what, you know, thinking about that. I don't know what the latest stat is, but last time I read it, it was something like 5,000 pieces of content will pass us in a day. 
So we've got to be the one that stands out and to seem relevant. If I could just add a comment on that, I think 100% agree with you. Um, it's also, it's, it's fine to produce, you know, swaths of content, but how do you break it down and then kind yeah. of serve it to the right person? It's, it's that... That, that last mile is, is is where I think you can have the most impact to help that decision maker feel that, you know, they have indeed figured out who the who the right provider will be that, that they need to go to for, you know, for their business problem. Yeah, we often actually give, when we're setting um, objectives, especially for smaller startups, it's about how often, how many times you recycle one piece of content. Mm -hmm. So if you think that if you put something on LinkedIn, maybe 5% of your audience will see it, let's make sure that if you create a white paper, it's, you're also probably doing a roundtable, a number of social posts, a number of blog posts, you know, making sure you get the most out of that work and effort because it's the quality content that you want to produce, not quantity of different pieces. So yeah, definitely, um, definitely with you on that. Yeah, don't don't produce wonderful content and then not let anyone yes. be able to get it. <laughs> Make sure there are lots of avenues to set up. When you when you look at the 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 tech industry, there's a lot of push towards hockey stick growth and you know dominate the market as quickly as possible. Um, there's you know lots of books written about this. Does 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 that uh, strategy have any place in you know a, the B our B two B world or in or in bank marketing or in financial services? What do you think, Shilpa? I absolutely think there is there is space for um, that even in even in financial services or bank marketing. Right? I mean, when you look at quantitative measures, yes, um, the tech approach mostly tends to be um, you know try something, fail fast, right, um, and then. Don't don't sort of sit there and brood about it. And I, I see that happening quite a bit um, in uh, in financial services as well, where you go and test out something, and if you don't really find um, revenue potential coming out of that, you exit out of it quickly. We've seen that, you know, I, you know, just just in the way um, we look at crypto, or you know, a few, a, a few years ago we were talking about blockchain. Not that any of those are not necessary, but it's, it's how much resources do you want to put into it, and what is the ROI you get out of it. So, in terms of qualitative measures, quantitative measures, I'm sorry, you look at look at ROI, EBITDA, market share growth. I think that's very much prevalent. Um, you know, I would say in both B2B as well as B2C. And in terms of qualitative, which is which is something I think I am always of I'm always of the belief that you can't manage what you can't measure. So I always drive my, you know, be it marketing teams or the sales teams to, to look at these nuances around, you know, what does a brand recognition look like? You know, how let's look at customer retention and loyalty, right? Because I think, you, you know, sometimes we, we tend to forget customer retention because I think our A plus users or our A plus customers are going to be A++ in, in five years. You know, sometimes we are so focused on getting additional market share that we that we sometimes forget that there is so much more that we can do from our existing customers. And our existing customer base is quite large in a B2B space as opposed to a B2C, right? So to give you an example, if I'm today working at Finastra and say I'm doing um, some amount of work with JP Morgan, I mean, JP Morgan is a gamut. They operate in so many different countries and between different lines of businesses. So just because, you know, I'm doing very well with them on their, uh, you know, markets business, could I not be doing more with them on the investment management? So just to really channel it to a, a, a customer where the brand recognition is high, where there is high percentage of customer retention and loyalty, and how do you really expand into that 
right thing. Sometimes that gets forgotten in B2B um, if you completely just follow the B2C model, because you know the B2C model is very transactional, um, but the B2B is more, I would say, value-driven. Um, I would say a slow um, sales cycle. So if that makes sense. No, that makes a lot of sense. I liked how you talked about like the sort of the different touch points and the different data points. So we say like in order to measure success in a B2B environment, there are, there are a lot more data points to consider, a lot more touch points, would you say? Yes, I, I would, just because of the vast magnitude of it, right? And, um, and, I, and I would say that it is not, you know, the velocity in, in B2C is quite high than what you would see in a B2B market. B2B mm-hmm. market tends to be a bit more um, consultative, right? So a long, long sales cycles or so. Mm-hmm. So the approach to that is also quite different. So yes, so I, I would agree with you on that. Yeah, one of the one of the things I remember when I used to work at startup bootcamp was explaining long sales cycles to uh, to the startup and the VC community. It was a it's a very different world than a lot of people outside financial services know. So I I wanted to, to I want to ask uh, all of you about you know uh, to continue this conversation about how success is is measured. So I'll go to Isha now. You know how. In your job, how is how is a successful campaign or, or a successful marketing quarter measured for you? I think for us, success is ultimately about the amount of growth that we've been able to achieve in, in the organization. Um, but then to Shilpa's earlier point around market share, right, we have to be um, cognizant of mar- you know, how much market share is, is marketing helping to drive. Um, but I think in the, in, in the B2B world, which... I'm not suggesting that this is completely irrelevant for B2C, but it's very important in the B2B space. Marketing and sales have to be working hand in hand, and ultimately they need to be seen as the two sides of the same coin. Um, it, it, it's about drive, you know, going to that customer, helping to solve that customer's problem together. Um, marketing plays a huge role in making sure you know the sales message is translated more effectively, um, but we need to be able to do that hand in hand. Um, I think the other important piece, which is, I think, more of a broader point for the entire organization is customer satisfaction is a key measure for, for, for success as well. You know, at the end of the day, how, how happy are our customers? And this is really important, um, especially in, in long sales cycle environments where you have to keep a customer interested, engaged for a long period of time. And then even after they do become a customer, there's always an onboarding period. So that customer experience need, will feed into that customer satisfaction. So you can't just, you know, you can't make the, uh, you know, give them the message and, and you know, have a close the sales cycle and then off you go. It, it doesn't work like that. So I think that success, measuring success is really, really hard at times. Of course, it is driven by numbers and, you know, growth and revenues and what impact we had on that. But I think it's a multidimensional piece to look at. Yeah, it's so true, isn't it? Because growth isn't just a marketing job, but we do need to be able to show. I think quite often, sometimes in marketing, we talk about lots of things like impressions from PR or, you know, that just uh, other people around the business just don't understand the point of. So I think the important part is to show that life cycle funnel. As you say about, you know, it's about how we're bringing people on, but then how we're keeping people as well. And how do we develop that so that we bring in the customers in the first place, whether that's, you know, MQLs or SQLs or, um, you know, monthly 
recurring revenue, but then we're keeping them and that retention, how do we measure that retention and how do we make them referrers in their own right? And, you know, um, so it's, it's very interesting, but it's definitely mapping that ship funnel and working with other teams to understand the point at which where can marketing support that part of the journey? Mm. OK, we're going to final question for the three of you and I'll I'll start with Lucy again and go go down, go down the uh, go down the line. What are who or what has uh, impressed you recently or? Or, or not recently, you know, <laughs> name anything. Within financial industry, it's anybody that's trying to support anyone and everything that isn't either a high net worth individual or a millennial. Anybody that comes to me with that, you know, they're trying to help support the elderly or they're trying to get, you know. Um, so, so just a shout out, I suppose, to Nina Mahanty, for being founder of just trying to find, trying to do something different and target somebody different. And then, you know, if we're looking at, okay, how to change some of the sort of more stereotypical parts of the industry, you know, you've got your Deborah Womack or um, Louise Smith who are really trying to stand up and talk out and get people talking about that, uh, about, uh, you know, everybody else except for um, the core no, I, I, I love that, being a bit more creative than that there was a few years ago, that very lazy, yes, we're targeting millennials, which uh, millennials are now in their 40s now. Anyway, so <laughs> we'll go down. So Shilpa, I'd love to know what, uh, what, it, what or who impresses you? I am um, I'm honestly quite fascinated by just financial services, which is why I dived right back into it after Uber. And I think the sheer resilience, right? I think we're all we've all been to the credit crisis and you know recessions and then the pandemic. It is just you know you you know you come back up, right? And um, and you know as you look at it, financial banks don't call themselves with banks anymore; they call themselves technology companies. Um, yes, because I think I think the, the 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 ambition to innovate is constantly there, and I'm always so um, um, so enamored by that. So that is that is something that I see. And and last but not the least, it's it's just the drive towards creating a social impact and inclusiveness. I mean, we see it across the board with not just financial services, but just a lot you know large companies really talking about you know how they're driving social impact, but equally. Um, you know, driving inclusiveness, right, where it comes to small businesses, or it comes to, you know, just overall gender diversity. Um, I, I just think things that we we didn't really necessarily see as much um, 20 years ago, are becoming so prevalent, and it's almost a norm, and uh, that you cannot really not do without it. So, so for that, um, those are some of the things that truly impress me and 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 have to say this because I'm a woman just just to see the advent of women in leadership in financial services has has by far, you know, impressed me since since the time that I started my career. Yeah, no, I agree with that 100 percent. So Isha, bring us home. Tell us uh, tell us what impresses you or, or who. I, I think my, my answer is in, in similar um, lines to Shilpa. I, what, that's why I agree with what you're saying. And I think what it's really fascinating for me is the customer obsession that you now see in, in, in the financial services industry, especially within the banks. Um, and what's great is that often the, you know, the decision-making around collaboration with fintechs is driven by the fact that we want to be able to solve the problem for the customer as quickly as possible with the right solution. Um, so it, it isn't, it isn't about, you know, fintech versus banks anymore or startups versus banks anymore. It is very much about collaboration and how do we collectively come together, um, you know, 
through partnering, investing into each other to 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 serve the the, the right solution to to the right pro to, to the uh, customer's problem. And um, Lizzie, you know, you've been at Startup Bootcamp. If we if we roll back in time, right? Think about six, seven years ago. The dialogue at that time was very much around, you know, bank versus fintechs. But it, it's just completely changed now. That the sentiment is very collaborative, and and it's all about the customer, which I I totally love, and that's great as you know for, for the marketing organizations. I feel. Yep. No, I agree with you. Um, so yeah. So I'm going to take away um, from this discussion that no matter what industry you're in, you're always going to be selling to a human and a person. So that's going to be my my takeaway, ladies. Thank you, Ishel, Lucy, and Shilpa. Thank you so much for talking to me today on Functional Banking Magic. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Functional Banking Magic, which runs monthly out of the banker. You can listen to this podcast on thebanker.com, Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcast fix. If you would like to be a guest on Functional Banking Magic, you can contact Liz Lumley at elizabeth.lumley at ft.com.